Grandpa wore his suit to dinner. Nearly every day, no particular reason. He just dressed that way. Brown necktie and a matching vest, both his wingtip shoes. He built a closet on our front porch and put a penny in a burnt-out fuse. Grandpa was a carpenter. He built houses, stores, and banks. Chained smoke camels, cigarettes, and hammered nails and planks. He would level all the levels. Shaved even every door. And voted for Eisenhower, because Lincoln won the war. That's pretty much <laughs> Very well done, Angelo. Thank you very much for opening the show. Thank you. Welcome to the construction life. Thanks for having me. I know that uh, actually both of us, well, you probably went through a lot more traffic than I did today. You gotta love Toronto, huh? Oh, buddy. <laughs> Gardner, yeah. They're actually doing some improvements. It opened up a little bit on the east end. My question is, are they doing anything about it? No. They never will. No, well, there's just more and more people commuting too, right? You look around here, it's just all subdivisions and condos and townhomes. It's just gonna get worse. So. I've I've asked and I've said it on the show several times. We need to take the channel machines that did France and England, mm. bring them over here. Do a line from 427 to DVP. Yeah, buddy. Charge Once, a toll. Just charge a toll. And then everybody from the east or everybody from the west can bypass the whole core. Exactly. It'll open everything up. Wouldn't that be a great idea? Tear down the garden. I'm not a politician, though. <laughs> not <laughs> I, yet. I yeah. never will be. Yeah. Angelo, you're here. We're going to have an interesting conversation, man. I know you reached out to me and uh, you had some interesting points to bring up and it perked my ears. I was like, yeah, I definitely want to talk about this. You're starting something called the human side of construction, mm-hmm. uh, but you do have a day job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your email is Angelo at agsgroup.ca and then find him on Instagram at uh, human side of construction and check it out. Mm-hmm. You've been in the business for about 16 years. I want to do a quick shout out. Angelo, do me a favor. What's it say on the back of my shirt? Is it Christian in space or painters? Oh, colors Christian. Out of New York, I think it is. All right, so that's who I'm wearing today. Sorry, I totally didn't know who I was wearing today. Uh, but that's it. I want to shout out to him, which is great. Where do you want to begin, Angelo? Like, how do you want to begin? Um, it's up to you. Like, I can kind of give a brief background of how I got in the industry. Yeah, or how'd you get started? So, um, I think like most people, it's, it's funny. You know, I didn't really choose construction. Construction chose me. So, it started kind of academically. I ended up in engineering kind of coincidentally. I, uh, my parents came from, they immigrated from Greece. So like any new Greek Canadian, they got into the restaurant industry. Don't ask <laughs> me why, but that's how most people Because we love the food. That's it. Yeah. So, and I remember it really vividly. I was probably eight or nine years old. I was in the back of the restaurant with my dad. And, uh, you know, like most sons, I was looking up to my father being like, I want to be like, just like this guy. So I said, one day, dad, wouldn't it be cool if I took over the restaurant and he looked at me, and I'll never forget the look on his face. It was very stern. And I was like, oh, shit. And he goes, no, nope, you're going to go to school. You're going to work from the neck up. Because, you know, coming from his background, little education, he had to work for everything he got. So he wanted a better life for his kids. So anyway, fast forward to high school. I sat with my guidance counselor at grade 12. We still had OEC at the time. And uh, she says, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. My parents said I need to go to university. And they go, well, what do you want to take? I said, I have no idea. So we looked at the marks, uh, good at science and math. Why not do engineering? I said, sure, sounds good. So I ended up in mechanical engineering at Western. Started to specialize in a bit of HVAC courses towards the end. Naturally, I graduated. I thought I was going to be like the best HVAC engineer the world had ever seen. Uh, At the time, early 2000s, we didn't have, uh, it was coming out of a recession. There weren't many that jobs. I couldn't find a job at a consultant, so I started to run out of money, and I said, shit, i got to find something. So I started to apply to basically everything, and I ended up with a mechanical electrical contractor out east, actually, in Halifax, which is a story for another time. 
but uh, so that's kind of how I ended up in the industry and and uh yeah, maybe so that's pushing a good place tin, to start. pushing tin to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of better necessity. But not on the site, the numbers. You were heat loss calculations, things like that. Well, yeah, so it was actually really good exposure because uh, I worked a little bit in estimating and project coordination. Okay. So it was, it was with a service department. So we would go out, you know, an owner would have a complaint on a, on a rooftop unit with a building like this. So I'd go there and have a look with the technician. He'd say, oh, you need to replace the fan blower or whatever. And I'd write up, do an estimate. Uh, send in the quote, talk to the client. So it was really good exposure to all that. I did a little bit of sizing of, uh, you know, crack units and stuff like that. We did some data centers, small design builds, boiler chiller replacements. So it was a good opportunity to use what I learned, but in a real world sense, which, you know, I'm grateful for now because uh, I didn't know what I was getting to in the, in the beginning. It's a very good beginning. Mm-hmm. You get a very good sense of structure, building, volume, mm-hmm. uh, mechanically how structures work. Mm-hmm. It's actually a really good introductory. Oh, yeah. No, and it's funny because, well, two things. One, we took a business course. That was a requirement fourth year at Western. And uh, the prof was going on and on about how this is the most important class you're going to take. And we're all like, what the hell? This is this is engineering, this guy's. And he said, nobody on your first day is going to ask you to solve, to, uh, to, to calculate the heat transfer through an infinite sphere. <laughs> that nobody's going to give you a triple integral and be, say, here, solve this. Yeah. Like it's, it's real world skills and how you apply the theory that you learned. Yeah. And even, I think it was my second day when I was working out East, I was basically riding along with a service tech for the first two weeks. And I was like, I'm an engineer. What the hell am I doing this for? But I, I'll never forget it. We went into a mechanical room for a service call and we walked in and he was being kind of a dick, but he goes, he pointed at something. He says, you know what that is, Mr. Engineer? I said, I have no idea. And he goes, that's a chiller. And all of a sudden, it just clicked in my head. I remembered what I thought, saw as a black box in my textbook with the, you know, the temperature and the flow going in, yeah. stuff I did. But when I was able to look at the, pipe, the piping and the pumps and the valves, it, it all really made sense to me. So, so yeah, that's kind of why, why I'm here. I want to kind of share that experience uh, for everybody, especially younger people kind of getting into the industry because you know, there's a lot out there that they don't teach in school. No, because we've always said it over and over that you get a, a different kind of education on site, in which I'm sure that it was different. But you were piecing it together, putting it together, and realizing, okay, here's the connection. So, so mm-hmm. it's not that you school is great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It got you to a starting point, but then it gave you another starting point, and that's construction, mm-hmm. right? So then you got working on other, mostly commercial? Yeah, so it's been all ICI. Like okay. now, last few years, it's mostly healthcare. But uh, I did, did quite a mix in, in the ICI world. Up to this point. How has the industry changed since you entered it? I mean, I'm sure you've seen your share of new people come into the industry. Yeah. Were they similar to you or were they, are they a different kind of breed right now? It's different. Okay. And that's... that's Positive, negative. Um, I, I think a little bit of both. It depends how you look at it. Okay. I think people with the, you know, who have been around a while and are kind of set in their ways and are more old school construction, it's a negative because people operate... Completely different. Like, I hate to say millennials because I'm grouped in that category technically yep. at the tail end. But elder, elder millennials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Our generation and younger, it's just, the world's just different. Our motivations are different. You know, what we aspire to do is different. How we work is different. And that's one of the challenges that we have to solve because it's not going away. We're not going to change how people operate. We're going to have to adapt and, and change the industry. And that's kind of, you know, the movement that I'm trying to be part of is, uh, you know, embracing that and kind of help foster that change doesn't the generation of today don't they realize the opportunities that are attached to this industry 
or they're not even factoring that in? Are they kind of like the guidance counselors from the 80s and 90s where they just dismissed it? Mm -hmm. Or I guess I would say more the 2000s, they just dismissed an option in trades. I think they didn't even know it was an opportunity. Yeah. So I'll speak from my experience. Like I graduated high school. When was it? 2003. I started university. Okay. So all through my high school, all through my, my schooling and post-secondary, nobody ever once said, hey, guys, construction is, a, is an industry you should get into. So I never looked down on it. I never thought, oh, that's dirty. I don't want to do that. I just didn't know that you could make money and have a viable career in construction. Yeah. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we can kind of go on a whole separate tangent on this. We might touch on it later. But it speaks to the larger issue, which I think is a marketing issue with construction because people just don't know. There isn't any. Yeah. No, there's not. <laughs> people, people see, if you Google construction now, you'll see this job's delayed. This job's over budget. Doug Ford's cutting a ribbon. John Tory's doing this ceremony. Other than that, people don't know what's involved in design, permitting, planning, budgeting. Like, there's so much to the industry. I, don't know, I could go Do on. Do they not know because the people that are leading this, I guess, uh, infrastructure... They don't know themselves? Well, it's funny because I saw the agenda and, and the one was a construction bone to pick. So yeah. I, ha I had two. You want to jump into that? Oh, please do. <laughs> please do. Number one, short and sweet. And we can circle back to it later. Estimators are underappreciated. Yeah. I wanted to do a shout out to my estimator yeah. buddies. I did I'd agree with you on that. For I did sure. a stint in estimating. We can circle back to that. But getting to your point, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. It's what two bones. Yeah. The one bone there. Well, that's the first one. They're unappreciated. Yeah, and yeah. What was, what, what was what was we, we led into it and then I went uh, So on the whole politicians story. basically they're the ones that are telling us how the infrastructure should work, but mm -hmm. they don't even know how it works okay. themselves. Yes, thank you for reminding <laughs> me. That that's it. So and this might I'll repeat that all the time. Yes, no, it sounds good. <laughs> this might sound funny coming from somebody with an engineering background, but going back to the schooling, you know, it's great to know theory and know calculations and, and know what the book says. When you start on site, which is what construction is, it's building, you, you put that in the drawer and you use it for a reference sometimes if you're in a pinch and you need to look at it. But the contract and textbooks, they, you know, they have a part to play in the whole role, but it shouldn't drive construction. Construction is about going out, figuring it out on site, solving problems, working with people. So that's, that's one of my bones to pick. And maybe that's a problem with younger people these days is, it's funny, uh, the meme comes to mind because there's a meme and it's somebody in a suit and a hard hat yep. pointing at a building saying, uh, I don't know what you're doing, but my book says you're doing it wrong. Oh, I know. We've seen that one all the time. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Which is like, it's not, it's not right. It's not right. And owners do it. Uh, you know, design, design professionals do it, uh, architects, engineers. Um, with owners, a prime example is a contract. A contract is a tool that, protects both parties and helps you get a job built. It shouldn't be a weapon that you hit each other over the head with. You know what I mean? Is that in that in your industry? Because it's definitely in our industry mm -hmm. regarding reso, right? reso mm -hmm. construction, right? Uh, people do use it as a weapon instead of a tool. And I love that you're referencing it that way, mm -hmm. which is a shame because it shouldn't be that way. We should, both parties should come to the table to actually solve. Mm -hmm. We're in construction. Construction is about solving problems mm -hmm. from day one. That's what it is. Whether it starts on the paper to the actual job site to the completion. We're a group of people solving problems, mm -hmm. not pointing the fingers at each other, but it's become exactly. that. Yeah, that's exactly how it's become. Yeah. And that's, that's another good point that we might as well spitball into is the way, and part of the human side of construction, the stuff that I talk about and, and promote is getting away from that. Because if you look at, you know, the recent decade, 
that I've been around, I've noticed a change in the 16 years I've been in where a lot of it, it's still based on relationships. Like you have key customers that, you know, at a high level will help you get jobs or yep. promote your negotiate stuff. When you get to the site level, it's very combative and argumentative and it's, you know, every big job ends up in court. Why does it have to be that way? You know, like the contract's black and white, plans and specs are black and white. In reality, it's all gray. You know, how does the contractor handle that stress? Like we, we can handle the stress of constructing because mm-hmm. that's what we're capable of. Mm-hmm. That's what our experience. But how do we handle that legal threats stress? Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you're bringing that up. It's a good question because now, like, like I work for a larger company in the general contracting space previously in the M&E contractor, and they mm-hmm. were big, like over 4,000 employees. Wow. And every big company now has a legal department with almost as many lawyers as... Uh, other other departments in the company here's the sad thing and you go down to custom residential uh renovations i think every tradesperson or every gc at least has somebody in their contact list that's a legal representative Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is really really um i don't like it no i really don't like it because it it uh, has persuaded lots of people to leave the industry Mm -hmm. for that it has uh, persuaded people to probably shift gears and not do good quality work and just get good enough. Mm-hmm. So then you can deliver exactly as per what we discussed on the contract. But we're, we're a team. I go back to we want to problem solve and we want to deliver as much quality as possible and to give people homes. A lot of people in this industry care about the end user. Mm-hmm. There's, there, there's homes, there's structures, there's facilities, there's things that are people driven. Right. We keep on forgetting about us in the maze. Yeah. Well, and that's where you end up with the siloing, right? And I think that's probably an overused term, but you start to build up these walls and everybody puts the blinders on and says, okay, if you want me to just do this scope, I'm going to do this scope. I don't care about the guy over here. I don't care about, the, I'm just going to put my duct in. I'm going to put my pipe in and put up my walls and whatever. And, and you lose that collaboration and that, uh, which essentially, like you said, that's what construction is. It's yeah. collaboration. It's solving problems. It's yeah. putting out fires. So I think one thing that, that, could help with that and one thing i like to talk about is again going back to the human side is just working on relationship skills so you look at any training like even academics like mechanical engineering architecture it's very quantifiable it's based on like metrics things that have been around proven for years calculations very cut and dry yeah but like where do we learn how to deal with difficult conversations you know dealing with difficult people solving problems working collaboratively communicating effectively you don't you don't learn about that stuff nobody's teaching it on the job site no no and what what is like the number one thing for coordination like the the companies i've worked with they do a last planner right so you get it with the foreman you talk about okay this is what we're going to do today this is what we're going to do tomorrow this and, and it changes day to day so that's why you have to do it pretty frequently but you're communicating you know like what courses I've, ne- I've taken some courses on communication, but it's because I put my hand up and say, hey, this is important, I want to do it, or I took it upon myself as personal development. So I think that's one solution to this problem of being argumentative and combative and having things end up in court. Just yep. teach people how to, how to talk to get, like how to communicate, how to resolve. solve problems, resolve conflict. Yeah. Instead of saying, You're supposed I'm right. To. No, no, I'm right. Okay, well, let's let the lawyers figure it out. That's what happens. Why are... Uh, power-driven individuals, whether on both sides, it doesn't matter who it is, why are they so quick to get to that legal route instead of try to get to the 
resolve, mediation, mm-hmm. discuss, root first? I think some of it is people are afraid to take accountability, like varying from specifications and plans and yeah. contract. Yeah. Because there's been, you know, a lot of cases, people losing their jobs or, you know, getting sued or whatever for deviating. Whereas back in the day, it was like you, you, hand, you shake hands, you agree, contracts in the drawer, you, you know, you might have to pull it if something major happens, but you can sort it out between people. But now, yeah, I don't know. It's maybe documentation is too good now. I don't know. So, I mean, Angela, just uh, because you've seen it probably a lot more than I have. I mean, what happens to that individual? So whether you're the the owner of this business that's, con- you know, has the employees that are coming in, taking care of the scope, or mm-hmm. you're actually uh, the tradesperson that's heading that scope and you've got your team below you. And then the fault gets somehow pointed towards somebody. What happens to that individual? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you've seen it. I'm sure that if it becomes to the point where it's legal, they either lose their business, they lose their confidence in constructing, they yeah. lose their confidence in working. And, and, and we're in an industry that we need more people to come in, not mm-hmm. go out. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, well, I can speak from experience because I've been there and I was young when it happened, but I was, uh, in my first role, I was, uh, part of the estimating team that put the bid together and eventually was project coordinator on, on the job. It ended up, there was some big scope discrepancy and it was based on something somebody said in the pre-bid meeting. Long story short, it was like seven years after the job, I got a call and said, can you come, uh, do this discovery with the lawyers? Because there's, you know, it's going legal. Yeah. And I thought, I, at the time, I didn't even know what discovery was. I had no idea of the process. And it, it was seven years after the job. And I told the guys, I said, I'm probably not going to remember much. And uh, so anyway, I went in and sat there and answered all the questions. And um, so, yeah, it was, so what happens to that person? Very rarely, unless they're found at fault for doing something egregious, like they, they might be dismissed. Yeah. But I think that's few and far between. It's more, and this is where like the whole documentation thing comes into play. Because if you, if you cover your ass and you did everything right and you followed the contract and you notified your boss about all this stuff and you weren't sitting in a dark room doing bad stuff, you're not going to lose your job over yeah. it mostly. Yeah. But a lot of people don't want to deal with that headache because they, they got into the industry to build, not sit in meetings and talk to a stenographer that's typing every word that they say. You know? yeah. it, it can rattle you a bit. And I remember it rattled me for sure. It made me think twice about decisions I was making from that point on. We're off a little bit. You stop kind of caring because the experience kicks in. But yeah. it's But it's interesting that you do bring it up because I've told everybody, I guess it goes back to, I don't know if you guys, because you're much younger. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I remember taking driving classes mm-hmm. and I remember being in the classroom and having the instructor tell me, and some point in your life, you will get into a collision. Mm-hmm. You will be in an accident. That's just statistically speaking, you will be in one. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like if you get into construction at some point in your career, you will be having a conversation with a legal team of some sort. Mm-hmm. Whether they're on your side or the other side or some side, you are going to be having this conversation that you never thought was ever taught to you in school or ever taught to you on a job site. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the industry. It's a, it's, it's a negative, it's a black stain, but I mean, it's yeah. part of it, right? So, it is. Yeah. Well, and it extends beyond like that. That might be an extreme example of like going to court, but you're constantly being questioned on stuff, right? Yes. Especially with a bigger company. Yeah. Like when we're, when we're there and the, you know, VPs, senior VPs come down and start saying, because, you know, every job, not every job, a lot of jobs run behind. There's cost overruns. And then you got to explain that stuff. So you're constantly being questioned. And it's like, it's not that they don't trust you to do their job. It's just, especially in bigger organizations, you report to somebody, they report to somebody, that guy reports to somebody. And 
the problem there too, it's almost like a game of telephone. Yeah. It's <laughs> right. like every level you go up, the story changes a little bit. Yep. And then when a guy a few levels up calls you and says, how come this happened? It's like, wait a minute, that's not what, that's not what happened. So it can get a little bit confusing, but, and you know, part of that is something that I think a lot of people could benefit from training or at least some reflection on in not taking it personally. You know, people don't ask you because they're bird dog and you're they're you know, because you're doing something wrong. Sometimes you just have to explain stuff. And that's, yeah. um, that's a lot of what I spend in my job actually doing now is explaining stuff to people. I'm almost like the translator because I'm in the mechanical electrical space with the GC. So it's almost like that's what I describe myself as to people. I kind of translate because when mechanical guys talk mechanical, GCs don't, don't necessarily hear it. Uh, and it's somewhat, especially when you get to the ICAT and the IT stuff, it's like black magic. So, um, I yeah. can only imagine, though, that you've worked with some older people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think it was like that. Was it like that 30 years ago, 40 years ago? It wasn't like this whole kind of uh, accountability, I guess. It wasn't like that the way it is today. I don't think it was. No, it was more people just trusted you and they gave you the free reign to do it. And you delivered. Mm-hmm. As a contractor, you actually did everything you possibly could to mm-hmm. deliver, to finish this job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that if you take the completion away from a contractor you're taking something dramatically away from their purpose on why they did this job mm-hmm. or why they're doing this job. So it's, it wasn't then it doesn't, it didn't, it was probably far and few back then, mm-hmm. but today it's almost like, just like you said, that every business has a legal team now, Yep, which yeah. is a little daunting, right? It is. And I, I, I don't know if, if you can go back on it now, right? Like, because things are so entrenched in, in the way they are, but I think that's why, I think that's why that, you know, I won't say it goes as far as micromanaging, but that's where these, all these people are involved because there's so much riding on getting it right and meeting yeah. the contract and doing this. And you have the lawyers in the background just waiting to pounce when, it, when you say go. And, you know, so everybody's focused on doing it right. You almost lose that sense of, it's like when you focus on doing something too hard. I was reading an article the other day and it was about athletics, but it said athletes should strive to go for 80% because that's when you're relaxed and, and you know, and you usually perform better than if you're going 100 in your tents and you, but that's what it's like. Everybody's almost scared to make a mistake. They're looking around, just waiting to get in shit. And, you know, you lose focus on the main site and building that's, the building. That's the construction industry right I don't know, we're now. kind of just rambling now. So no, right. no, no. But I mean, it, you're, you're totally right. I agree with you on that. And I would love to know how you came about with human side of construction. Now you're, I guess, trying to change it? Yeah. So good luck with it, by the way. Oh no, we can do it, buddy. <laughs> we all, it start it starts with everybody. So, um, and I would say this: like I talk to a lot of younger people. I'm big into mentorship and stuff. And this is another problem with like younger generation: is everybody starts and they're like, in two years, I'm going to be a director. It's like you see that too, huh? <laughs> yeah, I see it clear yeah. as day. It's great to have the ambition. But you got to be realistic about it. Get the scars while you're going. Like, yeah, just get the little bumps and bruises. That's while. where you learn, buddy. Yes. You learn by making mistakes yes. and over time. Because you can't, like, say management, for example. You can't manage if you don't know how to do the work. Yeah. Because then you're just setting everybody up for failure. Uh, but anyway, that's besides the point. So the first, I'd say, 10 years of my career, I, I worked on, like, honing the craft, right? Like, I was in mechanical. I focused on like, you know, how systems came together, scheduling, budgeting, cost management. I did some estimating and I learned pretty quickly that, you know, primarily construction is a technical industry. There's a lot of people who have hard skills. They're very good at numbers, plans and specs, quantifiable stuff. But at the heart of everything is uh, interacting with other people, like the human to human interaction. And like we said before, 
we don't learn about that stuff. So that's where I, I thought, like, you know what? We could all do a better job at effective communication, learning about how what makes people tick, how people work together. Because it's like the old saying, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Yep. You can't treat everybody the same because everybody's got a different personality. They come with their own experience, biases, and baggage. Everybody's got baggage, too. So you got to learn to appreciate that and how to connect with people on a human-to-human level before you start layering the complexities of money and problems and all this other stuff that is involved in solving construction. So, so, so yeah, the first 10 years I basically, you know, spent time, a lot of time, like learning about systems and seeing how they come together and logistics and stuff. And then I actually coincidentally around the same time that started to pique my interest, got into a management role as a chief estimator for the last company I was with. And so that's where I really kind of got my first taste in, in managing a team. And I got really interested in that because seeing how the people tick, dealing with like, you know, human resources issues and stuff like that. And, you know, some of the stuff I witnessed, I was like, there's grown men doing this stuff. Like, hmm. it's like, it was like a daycare. Not saying it was that specific company, but. I don't uh, doubt it. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. So, so that's how this whole kind of human side of construction was born. I thought, you know what? We need to talk more about this and to ramble on a little bit more with the whole social media thing back in august we hit a big milestone at the project i'm on okay and we got some good news and i walked out and i looked at the site and i took a picture and i was like holy shit we built a hospital because you get so stuck in the day-to-day of drywall concrete pipe duct screws this and that and sometimes you forget that one day this Hospital is going to treat 10,000, however many people a year, make people better. The people. Babies are going to be born there. Yep. So I thought, holy shit. So I took this picture and I put it on LinkedIn and uh, I got a lot of engagement and I hadn't posted anything like right before that, but I got close to 300 likes, wow. which, you know, isn't amazing. But I was like, you know what? This is a message that more people want to hear about. And that's what kind of sparked this whole thing. And it's kind of just been gaining momentum. Like I do the Instagram stuff for fun. I post mostly on LinkedIn with I try and keep it professional, but I do some cross-posting because people like funny stuff every now and then. Yeah. But, and it's, it's a topic that a lot of people have commented on and said, wow, you know, this is the stuff everybody thinks about and needs to know, but there's no training. We don't talk about it. Everybody's just kind of existing, doing their job with their head down. So that's kind of how it was. Does that answer your question? It does. I mean, it, it opens up a bunch more uh, because I guess I want to ask you, uh, I want to get into history of construction, but I want to ask you, you started this about six years ago and looking at how nobody's teaching us this. Nobody's mm-hmm. kind of explaining how this, how to navigate through this world. How do you do that now compounded with the cancel culture coming in and how mm-hmm. everybody is just incredibly sensitive about anything mm-hmm. and how you have to be trained that way? So just hang on to that thought. Let me share a little bit of this about secondary units in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, nearly one in six ground-oriented homes in Toronto has a secondary unit, the highest ratio in Ontario. In contrast, only one in 60 ground-oriented homes in Burlington has a secondary unit. I'm sure that's going to change with everything that's going on. Nearly 75% of secondary units are basement apartments. Uh, uh, municipalities with a low supply of purpose-built condominium and subsidized rental housing have more properties with secondary units. Uh, municipalities with low vacancy rates have more properties with secondary units. Single-story homes have more secondary units than any other style of homes. 60% of secondary units are in homes built prior to 1970, and municipalities with more new ground-oriented homes have less properties with secondary units. 
this goes towards which I'm sure we touch upon. You got a generation right now can't afford homes in Canada. Mm-hmm. Canada is one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive in the world right now. Um, thank you very much, whoever pulled that one off. Um, and so now you're going to see more dwellings being that way. And obviously with the bill 23 that came in and um, uh, you're going to see triplex, you're going to see a bunch of stuff, all mm-hmm. kinds of building. And I, I'm nervous about it because I go back to your earlier point about, we keep forgetting about the person, the mm-hmm. people, the ones that are going to live in this dwelling. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for us to build them faster um, and just get them done. And, and, and if they start to fall apart, we'll deal with that later on. Mm-hmm. We'll deal with the, you know, the, um, PDI later on. And I'm like, you can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. People already established roots. They come in, now things start to fall apart and then what, what yeah. do you do? So, um, I do want to ask you about, yeah. So how do you now first teach people not to forget the human side of construction, mm-hmm. but how do you expect a big chunk of this industry is this older group, mm-hmm. um, that have no idea how to define what's going on in the world these days. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how to react to it and they just don't know how to communicate with anybody. Yeah. But you're asking them to communicate first of all. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to try and answer it. And I think <laughs> if you can figure it out, you can, Without make, upsetting you, anybody. Can, you can make a lot of money. <laughs> so I would say that's probably the biggest challenge that we face right now. Uh, and everybody's talking about it, the labor shortage. But any place I've ever worked, there's always been a contingency that was a lot of experience close to retirement. And for some reason, there's a lot of younger people. I remember when I was starting out in my early 20s, there was, you know, that those group of older guys, it was a smaller company at the time. Uh, But there's just a few people in the middle that are kind of like middle management. And like you said, there's these older guys who have so much to share and learn. But some reason, there's just a, a block there of communication to the younger generation. I think it comes down to you know, how people communicate, how they work, attitudes towards work, I think is a big, uh, yep. is a big one where it's more uh, work to live than live to work. There's that generational difference. And we just communicate differently, right? Like younger, younger people, it's text message, uh, Teams chat. You know, did you, did you call the person? No, no, I didn't, I don't, didn't want to bug them. And like how many, di- even, even now, and I find myself doing it too, you get into an email battle back and forth. And then 10 emails later, Every time you send something, somebody gets copied. And then it's, if you compare the latest message to the first one, it's like, what are we even talking about here anymore? And it could have been telephone. solved. Back to the telephone. Yeah. yeah. It could have been solved. You know, let's a go have call. a coffee yeah. or a phone call. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't, it, it is, it is difficult. Cause I think now, especially like you mentioned, uh, a lot of people are afraid to say the wrong thing, especially when it comes to like, you know, diversity, equality and inclusion, which I'm a big proponent of, but you got to go about it the right way. I think in most cases, uh, you know, it's better to say the wrong thing than to not say anything at all. It's better to try, you know, than, than to just sit and be like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't It's uncomfortable. I don't want to, you know, just put it all out on the table. If it comes to something gender or race or whatever, it's, we're kind of going on a different tangent now, but the solution starts with acknowledging that there are differences. You can't just pretend everybody's the same and that things are peachy keen, even though the history and all this stuff, like we've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. And it starts with getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable dealing with these issues because it makes you think about how you've acted, how, you know, the world is now and what you're expected of you. I think that's a big part is there's a lot of pressure to do or say the right thing or not say the wrong thing. And there's examples of people who have been crucified because of it. So yeah. it's, you know, in some, in some cases it's unfortunate. It might've gone a bit too far. In some cases it was justified. It's kind of a case by case basis. But. 
I don't want to go too far down that route. No, I know because then it starts <laughs> to open up a whole can of worms. Yeah. They, but I just, I've spoken to these old school guys. Yeah. And they just, they're dismissing it because they don't want to. So it goes back to your point that they're being quiet about it. Mm-hmm. And then I guess you get the younger generation that is not necessarily being all that vocal either mm-hmm. because they're tiptoeing around it. I think it's because it has something to do with the construction environment. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still in an environment where you're being told that there's hazing going on mm-hmm. and, and there is that pecking order mm-hmm. uh, and how you're treated on most sites. Uh, whether this happens, I mean, I've never seen it personally on my site, but I've heard it so many times on the show and I've heard it from other people on other sites. Mm-hmm. You hear a lot of it in high rise mm-hmm. uh, where, like you said, everybody's got their blinders on, like, Plumbers do their thing. Electricals do their thing. Framers do their thing. Drywall, they all do their thing. Nobody communicates with each other. Yeah. And it's like you're the odd tradesperson out if you walk in with a smile on your face saying hello to everybody. Exactly, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, what is so wrong with saying hello to everybody yeah. and just saying hello, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe it's too dangerous to do it in a construction environment. Mm. But it's like that communication. So how do we start that communication process? How do we... Well. It's a good question. I don't know. I think it starts kind of from the top down, right? Like with the, the, the leadership. And I'm not definitely in the office. Like the, well, let's take the site, for example, like the foreman. Right? Let, me, let me quickly, before you go there, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Do you see more of the leadership on site these days than you did 16 years ago? It's different now. Like even the companies I've worked in, you talk to people who have been there since the beginning. And when it was a smaller company, the owner would come around and be like, hey, Manny, how's the family? That's, how's it going? You had, that, you had yeah. that connection. Yeah. So they would come around and check on things. But today? But today, no. The only time you see him is if there's an issue. So whenever you hear somebody coming or you see him, you're like, oh, shit, like what, what happened? You're already tensing up. Yeah, exactly. But before, it was like you're kind of pleasant because he's going to ask me how my day is. How's yeah. the family? What's exactly. going on this weekend? Yeah. yeah. Why? Maybe that's how you start. Yeah. How, how are you doing well, today? There is, <laughs> and, but that is the first step to yeah. breaking down those walls is just, again, starting with kind of the foundation of that relationship and it's connecting with somebody. Like, you know, when you first meet them, we all have our roles to play. Like say if I go in as a project manager or a foreman or whatever, you're there and you're responsible for people and you got to make sure they do their jobs. And if they're slacking, you got to do disciplinary stuff. But that doesn't stop you from getting to know who they are behind the role because there's so much more to people than their job title, Right. And I'm not saying that you have to be best friends with everybody. No. But you have to be, you know, it, it has to be amicable. And like I was saying before, un- unless you establish like the basic relationship of, of like mutual respect and trust and that somebody cares for you, you're not going to give that in return, right? So and that's what it's all about. It's a two-way street. So, I want to ask you, Angelo, I mean, I'm agreeing with you 100%. We mm-hmm. definitely need more of this human touch in construction. But... But, <laughs> but <laughs> I know this has been brought up a couple of times and I'm also in agreement with that. Is, is there too much that now you start to get, I guess, too involved in someone's life that it starts to affect employer-employee relationships, mm. right? So is there, is there a line? Is there a gray line? Or how, like at, at what point do we say, listen, how's everything going? How's your family? Yeah, that's enough. I don't want to know anything else other than that. Mm. Like I, you don't want to, and then now there's offensive at that point there is a line there's like with everything there's got to be boundaries right and it's got to be clear boundaries because if you don't set expectations you just set everybody up for disappointment and frustration the thing is though the line is probably different for a lot of different people so again i'm a huge proponent for 
you know, getting to know people, if they have a family, if they have kids. Uh, and I'm a big proponent for flexible work, right? Like if you want to take your kids to work in the morning and you want to stay late, as long as you get your stuff done, great. I'm more like results oriented than you got to be there from seven to a, a certain number. So that's an example of like somebody who comes to you and says, hey, you know what? I got an issue. My kid's sick. I got to stay home. A lot of people, even myself, I've got young kids. I feel a little bit sheepish calling my boss saying I got a sick kid because before it would be like, well, isn't your wife home? But times are different now. Yeah, it's different. Like my wife works. She runs a business. So, and we, you know, we put in equal effort to raise our kids. That's one example. So now having said that, if it happens you know, like a week straight, that's a little, if it that's starts to impact story. work. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think you can put everybody in a box and say, this is what you got to do. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care what's going on in your personal life. Because like I was saying before, there's more to people than the role they play in a company. And there's no, to me, I don't like the term work-life balance because there's no balance. Work is part of life and life is part of work. Like the stuff that happens to you, if you have a shitty morning if your wife's about to leave you or something, it's going to affect you at work because you're a human. Like our feelings affect us as humans. So yes. to deny that is to me, you're doing an injustice to yourself. You're going to be less productive and injustice to your company because you're not going to be performing as you could if you d deal with it properly. So I think that's a roundabout way. I don't it know does. It, it totally does. And it just, it kind of, uh, I, I've always, I love doing the 12 questions at the end of the show. Yeah. And, and question number, I would say, uh, question number uh, nine I've always loved, right? Uh, is it nine, 10, 11? No, eight. Sorry, mm -hmm. 10. <laughs> One of them. 10. Uh, because I always ask, what other profession would you do mm -hmm. if you weren't doing this, right? That mm -hmm. you would want to try. And you're, I'm always fascinated by people that are in the construction industry. They do have other passions outside of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But it affects, like, if things are going on in their personal life, it does affect their professional life. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. If their professional life, then it goes with personal. Yeah. And there might be a timetable on your career, like in construction, you might see an exit point for whatever reason, and then you might want to get out mm -hmm. same way you might want to get in. But it's that lack of human interaction mm -hmm. that is kind of persuading you in or out, mm -hmm. stay, go, whatever. It, it's all these little deciding factors. But I think it's a good point that you brought, you brought up where we start with the owners of the business showing their face once in a while. On the yeah. site. Like a lot more than just when there's an issue. Mm -hmm. If they would do that, that might start to help. Or at least know who's everybody, who's everybody on the ranch. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And just get a sense of who is the, the, the low person, the tall person, who's mm -hmm. running things, who's taking care of things, or stuff like that. Well, it's, I think it's especially challenging in construction, too, because it's very decentralized, right? Because you've got sites, especially yeah. with a bigger company. You know, you'll have a site with 30, 50 people on it, like employed by the company. And it's almost like a, sep a separate entity that's operating its own company on site. It's a lot. So, and when you get to a certain size, like it's, pr it's probably not realistic to expect management to be able to make frequent trips because they're dealing with other stuff, mostly like, I think they deal with a lot of legal stuff, HR issues, whatever, and they're in the back end office. So, and I found that I've been on, I've worked in different roles. Like I worked on the owner side for a bit too, but mostly on, on like dedicated to projects and it can be isolating. Like, when you don't hear from anybody in the office, or I used to, I remember when I first started, I used to go to the head office uh, monthly to help with billings. And I didn't know anybody there. I was like, I work for this company and I feel like, you know, they, they have this family values and everybody's one big, but I don't know anybody there. I'm just a nameless face, yeah. just a number, like a face in the crowd. So, and it, it can be isolating working on sites. So, But when did we, as business owners, 
when did we finally realize we didn't care about what actually built our business? Mm. Whether it was one employee or two employees or 10 employees or it's 50 employees right now, those employees are building your business. Mm -hmm. So when, at what point did we forget that that's what happened? They, mm -hmm. they are the ones responsible for your business growth. Mm -hmm. You as a business owner, sure, you've taken your entity to a certain level. You've got certain contracts. But this, you're no, you, any big construction business isn't a big construction business without those little people right. swinging the hammer. Right. So at what point did we forget about that? That we look at them and we, well, we forgot to acknowledge them or say hello mm -hmm. to them? I don't think it's just one thing you can look to. I think it's oh. just the way the industry's evolved. Like we were saying, it's gotten so, you know, we'll go back to the words I used before, combative and argumentative. And you yeah. put, you know, you put, you're putting these silos and you're given a very defined scope and this is the work you do. No more, no less. Get it done and, and move on. So, and I think once you do that, you got your head down and you're so focused on, uh, on getting the job done to match the scope and the budget and the the, the schedule and you lose sight of the big picture so i think that's a big part of management and getting back to kind of the human side it's remind people of the the big picture i love this anecdote and i'll waste a couple minutes of your time telling sure. it but it, it was from a simon Sinek talk i don't know if he got it from somewhere else but basically it's a story about somebody who walks up to a construction site and there's two masons laying brick a couple of hundred feet apart from each other so he stops talks to the first one and says do you like your job and the guy goes i hate my job I'm here. Have you heard this one? I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. So I'll keep going. <laughs> no, no. There's other people that probably haven't heard it. I've seen it so, for sure. So the guy says, I, I love it. I hate way. my job. Yeah. I'm here in the hot sun. I'm doing brick after brick. I do the same thing every day. And it feels like I'll never be done. I hate, I hate it. And he goes, thanks for your time. Goes on to the next one, a couple hundred feet down. Says, excuse me. You know, I was just talking to your friend there. And I want to ask you the same question. Do you like your job? And she says, oh, I love my job. You know, yeah, it's the days are hot. I'm here and brick after brick and doing the same thing over and over again. And sometimes it feels like I'll never get done, but I'm building a cathedral. So you know what I mean? Like, and that's the moment I had uh, to, it, when I mentioned going back to the social media thing. I, I had that moment where I was like, you know, we sit in meetings and we argue over stuff like coordinating cable tray and sprinklers and all this stuff. But we're, we're building a room that people are going to heal in. People are going to pray in. People are going to bring their kids to swim and play soccer. Like, that's amazing, man. And that is, should be enough, I think, to motivate any human being, to remind them of that, saying, hey, you know what? You're not just a resource that's here to hammer these uh, nails in or drill these, you know, screws into the drywall. You're building something that's going to... Maybe that's too touchy-feely for some people. It's maybe not, I don't know, buddy. It's not. I definitely think that the industry is changing, but I'll, I'll throw this at you because I'm not trying to be... The devil's out. Bring it on, buddy. Whatever. I'm just saying that we know there's a void in the center of construction yeah. regarding labor force, right? Yeah. So you've got these young trades coming in, and the olds are not necessarily training the young. So mm -hmm. the young are wandering. You've got the olds up there that can't be bothered to try to educate because they look at the young a certain way because mm -hmm. of the way the world is running right now. Mm -hmm. And then you've got both groups listening to what's going on and shows like this and other shows are, are sharing the reality of construction. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate thing is that you've got the young trades going, I don't even want to get involved in any of that. I might not even make it to be that old school guy later on. Yeah. I might get out of this in 10 years. Yeah. Then you got the old school guys. They're turning around and looking at the way we're presenting a realistic re representation of the construction. And they're thinking, thank God I'm leaving this industry soon. Mm. 
And it goes back to your point about the two bricklayers. You've mm-hmm. got one who's looking at it as total negative, harsh work, harsh environment, harsh everything. you got another one who loves it because of what's the end result of that. I think both of them are doing that. You have an option as a trans person to every day wake up with the perspective mm-hmm. and try to figure out, okay, I'm building someone's home, dwelling. Like someone's yeah. going to raise a family here. Someone's going to... Have losses, have gains, mm-hmm. experience things, scratch little carvings on the wall, like how high kids grow and what mm-hmm. have you. Mm-hmm. Everyone forgets that end user yeah. when it comes to construction. And I think they forget about it because there is that combative yeah. kind of nature. When when you get business people almost vindictive, and I think that, that vengeful kind of person or persons kind of instills in everybody not to even be human. Yeah. You almost are asking people to become robots without actually having any robotic mm-hmm. elements in construction for now. Mm-hmm. No, no. Is, it's scary. So then they're yeah. looking at all the options in front of them and they're like going, well, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, head down, yeah. just do my job, my scope, deliver, and hopefully I don't cause a problem. Mm-hmm. And then go home and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then nowhere in that equation is that person who's living in that dwelling, using yeah. that dwelling, having a birth, having a death, having everything in these mm-hmm. dwellings, right? structures yeah no it is uh there are a couple things that come to mind there and i think there are a lot of uh people myself included who if you've been in the industry long enough you've been burned of course (laughs) and people carry that around right and that's another thing that i think has resulted in the this combative atmosphere is everybody's so defensive and you're starting like in a perfect world and this might sound like i'm uh you know too light and fluffy but in a perfect world you inherently trust people Yes. When you enter into some sort of relationship, whether it's romantic or construction, business, whatever, personal, mm-hmm. friends, yep. that's not reality. So in reality, you should at least be starting at zero. But I think a lot of people start negative because they've been hurt and they've experienced some sort of pain from some situation or other people in the past. And they carry that around with them. And I've noticed it. And you can tell a lot of people like I'm, I might be accused of being too informal, but I love just chatting with people. Like I'll log into meetings early. I'll go to meetings early just to sit and shoot the shit with somebody and get to know <laughs> and break the ice. Because yeah. I think it's a great tool, man. Even just to break tension, even if there's, we're having a meeting to resolve some big issue, if you can get in there early and tell a story or crack a joke, it, it drops people's guards. Because everybody comes in ready to fight, you know, with their gloves up. Everybody should just do karaoke at the start of the day. Karaoke? <laughs> mindful meditation? I don't know. Whatever. Stretching, all kinds. Maybe smoke something. I don't know. Whatever Whatever works for you. Whatever calms you down, gets you kind of ready. Yeah. And not have that guard on. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So so that was one thing. And the other thing too, I think it's always been around. It's probably more prevalent now. Like you mentioned, younger people in the trades who, or even in the the office who look at things temporarily, right? I think that's that's a big issue, the short-sighted. And there was actually one of my posts that got the most engagement was about job hopping. And I said... You know, it was some voiceover and said, I do not recommend this strategy. But I said, leaving for another 10K. Because, you you know, and I would, I'm guilty of it in my past. You leave one place to go to another place for more money. But it's more about, it's more than just money, man. To me, that's short, short sighted. 100%. So anyway, I think it's always been a bit of a case of natural selection. There's going to be people who come in and are just maybe trying it or in for short term. And they're either going to find that they like it and stay with it or they're going to leave and you know, say this isn't for me. But now it's like, I think exacerbated by people making money on TikTok and YouTube and stuff like that, where people are like, I don't want to go get my hands dirty. I'm just going to stay home, make videos and make 40 grand a year or whatever. Like in all fairness though, Angelo, I mean, even 
back in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. I, a lot of young tradespeople coming into the industry were always coming in as a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do this for now. I'm going to just do it for the summer. Mm-hmm. And then it became a passion. They loved it and they wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the difference is that the network was there then. The network isn't here now. That's the problem is that they're not getting the support and tradespeople do need support, whether it's from mm-hmm. management or from coworkers. They need the support that they did a good job today or mm-hmm. they messed up. And here's what you did wrong. Let me educate you because we learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that's going on. Well, here's the thing. So I know you've got a lot of episodes and you have a lot of dynamic people. So like what, you know, in conversations you've had, have people presented solutions or is it everybody? Because everybody loves to talk about problems, right? Like you go on a labor shortage, everybody's saying there's a shortage in construction. No shit. We've been talking about a shortage since since I started the industry. There's always going to be a shortage. But what are we doing about it? So I think think they're vetting tradespeople a lot faster. I think that if they, um, if they first of all can't even show up to an interview, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, they'll schedule one, they'll text or they'll sign in on the email and send, I'll be there, whatever. And then they don't show up and they're, they're playing the numbers game. So whatever, a mm-hmm. hundred emails come in, they're interested. And then two people show up. Yeah. They still vet that person. Right. So I think they just give them a very strict kind of assessment and try to figure out if this person can. Mm-hmm. And I think punctuality is major. Mm. I think if that person can show up, 10, 15 minutes before and mm-hmm. be ready to go on time, then great. That's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I think that if, uh, I think employers nowadays are treating everybody, they're trying to be more positive and, and thinking they're gold, they're valuable. They're going to get, and then also they're also on the back end thinking they're encouraging people to um, excel. So if that means that they're either going to move up in their own corporation or if they're going to move up to some other place, Give them the best wishes and let them go. Don't burn that bridge, mm-hmm. right? So I think if you just constantly are feeding positivity attached to it, I think a lot of people in construction look at it as a negative. I'm going to teach you all these tricks and then you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier in the start of the show where everyone's ready to be the captain of the ship. Yeah. But you need those bumps and bruises before you become the captain mm-hmm. of the ship. Otherwise, you're going to have some major bumps and bruises later on. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that's not when you want to have the bumps and bruises. No. Well, the further you are, the higher, or the higher you are, the further you fall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and so you take the licks early. Yeah. There's a reason why you're taking the licks. Mm-hmm. And don't be dismissing everything. So, I mean, a lot of people on the show have, have, have come up with great solutions that is working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had any problems with certain uh, trades coming on my sites. And, and I've gotten along with probably 99% of the people that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. I think we just connect. I think because we start with a passion and an interest and a care that, we have an end product. We have an end person mm-hmm. looking at our service, our product. And that gives us a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. The human side of construction. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's what I mean. Yeah. But it's like, you're totally right. We forget. I get upset if you get on the job site and nobody is saying good morning. Yeah. As simple as that is, I've shared posts like that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what effort is there to mm-hmm. actually say good morning? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like practice it. And if, even if you want, I love that. You know, like we're dabbling with the idea of doing different shows in different languages, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start, and we've done one already. We've got other ones planned as well. Okay. I mean, practice your good morning in different languages. Get online and babble fish yeah. the hell out of it yeah. and then come in in Greek and say it. Come in in yeah. Italian and say it. And like, I'd be, nothing perks up the ears of an old school Italian tradesperson on site yeah. if you actually, you know, say something Italian. Yeah. You know, maybe not something Russo, you don't know, like that or something mm-hmm. like that, but you say something in Italian, right? They're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, is he one of us or what's going on? Yeah. yeah. But that breaks the ice. For sure. Right? So, I mean, like, have some fun with it. And yeah. plus, don't dismiss these old cats because they will teach you a thing or two. Yeah. 
try to get on their better side. I've done it so many times and I've shared it on the show so many times where, you know, I, I try to get closer to the older guys to talk to them just to overhear what they're talking about yeah. and try to pick some words or something like that. And then, you know, like I'll be Snoopy and they're like, who's this kid? Who's this punk? Who, what, get away mm-hmm. from me. But then all of a sudden they'll find out the work that I've done and mm-hmm. what I pulled off and, and, and I've been in those trenches and then they'll come back at you and they'll, they'll, they'll pick up their phone like a Neanderthal picks up a smartphone and they hold yeah. it a certain way and then they'll go on your page and they'll point to certain work that you've done and then all of a sudden they'll look at you and go you did that i was Mm -hmm. like yeah he goes all right so now there's a level of respect at that point now you're on their same level and all of a sudden now you can communicate with them Mm -hmm. so i think somehow this younger generation has to break the ice culturally speaking Mm -hmm. um how do you do that well i think and we touched on it earlier like now and this isn't any discredit to you know the older generation, but people are just more educated now, and I don't mean they're smarter or more intelligent. For sure, no, I, know just exactly, have, I know exactly what you they're mean. They're just guys like me with a piece of paper that says you did four years at a school. Yeah, and a lot of people might come out with the attitude like, "I have this piece of paper, I know everything." That's the worst thing you can do. And like, I'll get Greek philosophical on your ass right now and say, (laughs) Socrates, one thing I know for certain is I know nothing for certain. You can't learn until you acknowledge that you don't know something. And there's a lot that everybody doesn't know. Construction, especially because it's so highly technical. There's so many different trades. Excuse me. But like, you know, on a big job, you might have like a hundred different trades. There's no one person that can know everything about all trades. There's no one person that knows everything about one trade. And this was a recent conversation I had with somebody is that knowing that it's building your network, building the support system that's going to help you and the team succeed because you're not going to know everything, but God damn it. I want to be the guy who knows the person to call to get the answer. I don't know everything, but I bet you I'm two or three phone calls away from answering any construction related question because I focus on building relationships and because I'm a nice guy and try and be friendly with people. I'll be like, Hey Bob, how's the kids in hockey? Yeah. Hey, you know, what's the, can you do, draw me a moment diagram for this uh, steel? You know what I mean? Like we could do that. It happens all the time. Yeah. I'd encourage every trace person to start a podcast. There you go. The amount of people that I've spoken to across the table here or at the other tables and other shows and traveled to and did shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, we have conversations about construction, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking about, I, I am ready to have a conversation about actually building something with this person across the, mm-hmm. the table. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing. You're building a network. But I mean, people are on social media. They're forgetting to do that. Mm-hmm. They're just liking certain posts and they're just wasting time on looking at certain posts when they're forgetting the opportunity of networking there. Well, like justifiable networking, yeah. like really yeah. analyze how you want to approach them and speak to them and actually come up with the perfect question to break the ice. Mm-hmm. Do it. Mm-hmm. There's so many people, even the older school cats are on the show yeah. on, on social. Oh yeah. No. And it's uh, and it's kind of ironic because the whole point of this technology and social media is to bring people together. But I think it drives you further apart. apart. <laughs> like in the beginning, it became like high school in the seventies and eighties and nineties. Yeah. Everybody had their certain clubs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. You got and your cliques. You yeah. had your cliques, right? And all of a sudden that, that was social media construction, especially yeah. in the Toronto area. Yeah. That's how it was. And then if you weren't part of the cool kids, then you were outcasted. And I'm like, okay, yeah. fine. It's like high school again. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't succumb to peer pressure. I didn't make the cut. So I yeah. didn't care about it, right? Yeah. But I mean... But even to take it further, like social media is a good example, but even stuff like emails and text messaging, like they're great as a tool to document something or send a quick message. Call or get up and see. Like uh, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Like say you're in a trailer 
and you're like, I don't want to walk around. I'm just going to message the person. It's like, okay, just get up, stretch your legs. First of all, we should all be a little bit more active. And just go go talk to somebody. Get a phone call. No, don't rely on technology. And there's more and more of a reliance on technology, which I think is a big barrier to what me and other people are trying to do with this human side. Because there's other people doing it too. That's the great thing about the internet. One of the good things is you can find the most niche, weird thing. And there's other people into it. There's other people doing it. And that's where I've found was really great, especially on LinkedIn. I have a lot of people reaching out and being like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm thinking about this. Do you want to look at same same thing with you? It's a good way to connect. So. I want to ask you after I do this OBC talk yep. here, uh, I do want to ask you about on LinkedIn and um, did people approach you and ask you there's actually a human side in construction? Mm-hmm. But let me share this <laughs> first. Secondary units, houses over five years old have more flexibility under the building code while houses under five years old must meet new construction requirements. So the boys over at uh, Assured Basements were correct on this. All right, fine. I don't know everything. Just, the building code's minimum co- room sizes in dwellings units, uh, dwelling units apply to second units. Basement units must have at least 1.95 meters or 6 foot 4 three and 3 quarters ceilings uh, over the entire floor area. That's a minimum, 6 foot 4? Wow. Uh, attic units must have at least uh, 2.03 meters or 6 foot 8 ceilings over at least 50% of the floor area. Floor area calculations do not include areas with less than 1.4 meters, 4 foot 7 ceilings. Living room and dining room windows must be at least 5% of the floor area. Bedroom windows must be at least 2.5%. Secondary units must have a hot and cold supply, a sink, bathtub, shower, toilet, and a drain. Uh, composting toilet or drain composting toilet. A kitchen sink and access to laundry facilities, either shared or separate. Many other rules apply, such as specific smoke detectors, 30-minute fire separations, and required exits. So, anybody on social come up and ask you if there's actually question it? There's a human side to construction? Most of the people who I interact with are in construction. So I don't, honestly, I don't get that question a lot. I have had some people who have had bad experiences, especially, uh, you know, some of the stuff I talk about, it's like mental health, acknowledging yeah. mental health in construction, yeah. uh, toxic workplaces. And people say, oh, that's ironic. I'll be like, well, what do you mean? And then we'll get into a bit of a conversation because they might have had a bad experience or whatever. So I might take this on a bit of a tangent, but I, I think it's important to address that the majority of the general public does not understand the construction industry. They I've been not. married to my wife for, oh, we've been married 10 years. We've been together 18, 16 of that I've been in construction and I still try and explain it. And she just, it's not that she doesn't get it because she's smart, but uh, it maybe just doesn't interest her or I try and find a way. Anyway, that's besides the point. Like a lot of people drive by a construction site. You might drive by it every day on your way to work. And every day it starts to, you know, the concrete's getting poured and then it gets closed in. And, and then one day people go in, they're like, yeah, they did construction there. But they have no idea, like, the time and effort for, like, the development team that, you know, plotted the land and had to change the permits and do the site plan approval, the design, the architects, engineers, the estimators who put the bid together, the procurement team on the owner. Like, you know what I mean? All this stuff, blood, sweat, and tears and other bodily fluids because there's other stuff involved in building. Inevitably, somebody takes a dump in an air handler. You know what I mean? So it happens. There's like <laughs> all this time, thousands of hours, men and women working hard. Yeah. Even, and this is what, so getting into healthcare, there's a lot of systems, right? Nurse call, access control, stuff like that. So I took for granted, even when you come in here, you swipe a card and the door opens. You don't even think twice about it. You know how difficult it is to have four trades come together? <laughs> the access control, the door guy, the electrician. 
if it's in a hospital, there's RTLS to lock the door so patients can't get out. It's for, that's for one door. And he times it by 500, however many, you know what I mean? There's so much to it. Yeah. This is why I get so fired up because, and going back to the whole marketing thing, if people, if people knew and had an appreciation for what's going on in construction, we wouldn't have this shortage because they'd see that bigger picture. They would get the full sense. Right now, a lot of people, they think construction, like I said, was Doug Ford cutting a ribbon, some guy in a hard hat smoking a cigarette out in front of a site, and they don't know there's estimators, business development, finance, you know, how many other ones I'm not thinking of behind the scenes. Like there's so many support systems that are part of the industry too. Construction to most people, I agree with you. Um, it is just a way to get rid of one more lane, if not two lanes mm. in their commute mm-hmm. um, to dirty up their brand new tires that have just been washed mm. during their commute and to have this constant dust or noise exactly right next to their dwelling. If they're yeah. living right next to it, it's a hindrance. Yeah. It's a hindrance. So it, they don't, they don't understand it or they don't care. But then as soon as they blink their eyes, the structure is there mm-hmm. and the structure is their sound. It's mm-hmm. never going to collapse and, and, it's going to have a purpose behind it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, that brings up another point that I want to ask you is that I think that our clients are contributing to this mm-hmm. disconnect of human and construction. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I've had so many clients that have looked at us as way beneath us, way mm-hmm. beneath them. Mm-hmm. And they, they are great to remind us of that. Yeah. But I, I've had lots of young people, you know, come up to me and so-and-so said this. And, and, and it is offensive. It's an offensive remark, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I look at them and, uh, and all I can really say to them is like, but they can never build a house. Mm-hmm. They don't have the skill set for it. They don't have the mindset for it. They don't have the patience for it. They don't have the network for it. Mm-hmm. They have no clue what it's all about, but you can build a house. So don't ever forget that. They, yeah. can, they can dismiss what you do, but don't ever forget that you can build a house. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of reminding them of the big picture, right? Yeah. I think that's, it is a big challenge with, with, uh, clients and and it goes back to just being open to learning right and having appreciation another big divide that's similar is between the office and the field yeah right like supers and pms always kind of battle it out a little bit trades guys and and engineers like and i've been there because and i've been there on both sides working for a contractor and working why do we have lines there because it because there's you can't you can't get rid of the lines because there's a point where you pass off the baton right? A steam fitter, probably from experience, knows what size of a line they need to, you know, run an air handler to a unit or serve whatever, Yeah. but probably doesn't know the calculations on how to get there Yeah. to confirm and make sure it's engineered properly. An engineer doesn't know how, you know, pipe joins together. He's probably never welded a pipe, but they know to do the calculation. So there's an, there's a point where everybody's got their zone of expertise, but part of knowing that is knowing where yours stops and the other person's interacts with that. So there's always a line some, somewhere and there's always a gap. Like even collaborative delivery models, P3 or IPD or all that stuff, where the consultants and the, and the build team is integrated as a constructor, yeah. there's still gaps. It's just they're internal, so you try and hide them a little bit more so the owner doesn't see. It's like, but you, you got to acknowledge that they're there. Because yeah. it's when you pass off between design and construction, you try and you try and you try, but there's always going to be a gap and you just try and minimize it. So why don't we try once a month just to switch the roles, have the office admit, get on the site and have the site. Oh, it'd be chaos. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be entertaining. Yeah. No, I, I, I tell everybody this, anybody in operations should spend time in estimating and vice versa. Same thing. Anybody on the client side 
should spend time on site at least, preferably on the contractor side, but at least spend time on site and witness what goes on and how things get built and the challenges that we face. Kind of like how you were mentioning with your wife. It's just they're not interested in, yeah. in what's going on. I think, yeah, maybe they have their job to play and that's that's it. Yeah, That's just how it is. So I don't know how to change. I mean, I've had my share of clients that have actually been in like there mm-hmm. and asking you all kinds of questions and, and you, you answer them. You're not annoyed by it, right? Mm-hmm. They truly want to know because I envision them having these conversations with friends and family down the road saying this is how it was built this is how they wanted to build it this is the team that built it this is what they did Mm -hmm. so they cared it goes back to respecting the industry yeah and that that shows a sign of human connection yeah i think the majority of it is just too busy everybody's just too busy just here's the check here's the scope get it done let me know when i can move in yeah no and that's the thing and it's funny you know we talk about the labor shortage but if you look at work at least in the ici sector jobs are getting more and more complex like everything's got IT, even yeah. office buildings, they're smart. They got internet of things and lights and, you know, everything's got, I, I probably sound like an idiot to IT people, but I'm a mechanical guy. Yeah. So like every building's smart now. So jobs are getting more complex. Schedules are getting tighter for whatever reason. I, I don't know. It, people think we can like, you know, there's offsite prefabrication and stuff that can help concurrent activities. But at the end of the day, you still got to build the building and there's, you know. Who's making them tighter? The bean counters, if it gets completed I, X amount earlier. Well, that's the, th- I don't even think it's, it's not even earlier at this point. A lot of the contracts I think have incentives for finishing earlier, but oh. realistically, like I think things are pretty tight. Maybe it's, I know certain jobs have requirements for end dates, right? So it's like, if you can't meet the end date then so, so please explain the LRT here in Toronto. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Town. Yeah, that's oh how wasn't the end date like how many times has that end date been? Yeah, yeah, it happens, man. I don't know. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of legal stuff going on. Like I, yeah, so it's unfortunate when you get on a job like that too, because it's tough to stay motivated when you're. It's a never-ending project at that time. But I mean, I, I I fault whoever's actually building it because. I guess this is not your first LRT that you're building, Mm. or you probably have some experience in it, so you probably are discovering what you're discovering. Mm -hmm. But I I don't know. We can't, I mean, I'd love to get somebody to talk about that whole project because I don't, it's, I don't even know when it's going to get completed. I still avoid Eglinton because of that. No, it's a nightmare. It's It's a a nightmare, nightmare, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what, uh, you know, on jobs like that, there's probably not one, there's probably not one or two items. Like it's, like, I don't know how many billions of dollars. It's just so complicated and there's so many moving parts. I know that before we started recording, I mean... I think I'm fair to say that Toronto is one of the most poorly managed cities mm. that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. From I just, infrastructure? Yeah. Yeah. I just don't, I don't see how this city is going to be a future city. Mm. I, I think that there's so many problems regarding the infrastructure that mm. it's just compounding at this point. It's not even a Band-Aid anymore. Yeah. The limb has been cut off mm-hmm. and you're like trying to stop hemorrhaging, right? I don't, I don't, I have no idea how this is going to get fixed. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know how these things are planned and mapped out, right? Like even Oakville, I used to live in Oakville, we moved to Burlington, but north of Dundas, it's all, you know, high density condos, townhomes. Not too long ago, it was just all farmland. Ten years ago when we moved there, yeah, it was uh, just Quiet as pastures. I know. And uh, so now construct, but I think a lot of people who couldn't afford to live in the city got pushed out. Not that it's cheap in Oakville and Burlington, but got pushed further out and they're commuting. Yeah. So like all... 
all these problems we're facing now, like, I think they're just going to get worse, no? Like, the costs are going to go through the roof. Yeah. Like, they're building more condos in Toronto. They're building more high-density homes any, everywhere around Toronto, and everybody's commuting in. So you're right. Like, how do we, I don't know, future-proof maybe isn't the right word, but how do you plan for that? The influx of people, and I don't know. Well, it's, it's almost a double edge. You got two things going on. We know that we have so much work going on. Mm-hmm. We know that there's a labor shortage, but the problem is that I, I blame whoever's in charge of that, not marketing it well enough to mm-hmm. bring the labor in to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we do that? Like, it's, so now you're just going to have certain companies heading that and it's not going to get built properly mm-hmm. or it's not going to get built efficiently. Then you still keep on building it the same way. I don't understand why we don't evolve. We, ha- we have to. We, you just have to, man. Like it, we talked before about, well, everybody's talking about the shortage, but to touch on that, there's so much work coming up. Like you look at healthcare alone, there's like billions and not to sound like Trump, but there's billions and billions of dollars and like these mega projects going on. And there's a big risk in executing them because labor is tight now and it's just going to get worse over the next 10 years. So yeah. where are all these people going to come from? You know? And I learned a big lesson when I was in estimating my, my boss at the time. Um, we were, you know, as part of the go, no-go strategy of selecting whether or not to bid, you, we'd look at like manpower coming up in the future and schedules and all that. So, and there was this kind of high profile job. And I said, I think we should go pretty tight at this one. You know, it's it coincides with the, the labor curve and this and that. I tried to be all technical and sound smart. And I said, I think we should go in really tight. And he goes, we're not in the business to win jobs. We're in the business to make money. So, like... Every business is in the business of making money. Yeah. I go back to the person who's moving in and using the dwelling. Yeah. Have we forgotten about that person, Mm -hmm. that family, that kid, that Mm -hmm. elder? Everybody. We keep forgetting that. Yeah. But I watch as this... I mean, my older brother just retired from the region appeal, and he had something to do with uh, Brampton's got... Mississauga Brampton's got their LRT happening on Highway 10, which mm-hmm. is a major artery, right? So it's going all the way from Lakeshore all the way to Brampton. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this. This is, this is completely insane. I don't understand why this city is is developing this infrastructure this way. You're dealing with a roadway that at some parts, most of it is three lanes on either side. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to eliminate one lane on either side and just congest it down to two vehicular lanes with a bike lane. So you're going to go down to one vehicular lane. Yeah. Why are we not building a subway through this artery mm-hmm. and keeping all three vehicle lanes or at least two and then a bike lane, then a parking lane mm-hmm. so you can still feed the businesses? And this is a mistake that was done on the St. Clair when they revamped that whole mm-hmm. LRT along that line and caused more problems. Businesses were going under. So yeah. everyone's not factoring in everything. Everyone keeps forgetting about the person. Right. Yeah. Like I felt for, I came from St. Clair. So I felt mm-hmm. for all the businesses that when they were doing that construction, which was just a standstill, and businesses had no people coming in. Yeah, they weren't feeding their their rent and everything like that. So it was difficult. So I don't. I don't. And, and I think that there is a lot of people that do want to get into construction, but I think that they're they're hearing about all these negatives. I guess. Yeah. And they're like, okay, I'm going to get in just temporary, and it's a stepping stone, and I might come more somewhere else because yeah. I want to be a TikToker. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah. TikToker pays more than me swinging a hammer. Yeah. No. No. And and it, yeah, it gets back to what people perceived construction is so when you see you know all these orange pylons and traffic and people backed up and a bunch of a you know construction guys standing around you're like like you were saying it's more of a hindrance yeah so i think part of the solution is 
being more vocal and that's what I try and do on social and talking to people is like talk about your wins because even people who have been in the industry if you stay around long enough and and face challenges like we talked about estimators like that's a perfect example because yeah. a good win ratio for an estimating team is like 30 40 percent so you always lose more than you win at least the you know where I came from so you have to get used to dealing with this adversity and if you don't deal with it properly it can just wear you down over time so celebrate the wins like jo- jobs I've been on in different companies, you hit a big milestone and it's like, yeah, you order pizza and then nobody talks about it again. It's like, you don't have to write a book about it or, you know, belabor stuff. But again, remind people of the end goal, yep. the big picture. Say, you know, when you're facing adversity, I know it's tough, but remember this time we did that. You know what I mean? Like you got to pump people up the a team. little bit. Yeah. So, you know, if that's all we talk about is how, annoying and loud and dirty construction is like we shouldn't be surprised that people aren't banging down the doors to get into the industry so i'm assuming that you're getting a lot of support from your social awareness of uh human connection construction i can i can picture it it's i think a lot of people are connecting with it because it's been so void in a while and it's funny my most successful posts are about estimators that's why I had to give them a shout out because yeah, I think course. there's generally people feel underappreciated in the industry and they don't feel like, like I think getting back to the whole combative and argumentative, it's like we've been put in a box and told to do this job and that's basically it. So acknowledging that there is another side to it, it's, I think it's refreshing for people. So I know an estimator that works. I, I've been begging her to come on the show. Yeah. She won't come on the show. Oh, why not? Because if she starts describing certain projects, yeah, she she could get her slap like a yeah. slap, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, and she's you know we've had plenty of like we'll we'll get together and we'll have dinner, uh, lunch or something like that and and we'll and we'll go talking about it and she'll mm-hmm. let me know what's going on and she gets her frustration and what's mm-hmm. happening and all this other stuff. So it's just like I I want these stories to be shared, but she's also a problem solver, mm-hmm. right? So it's like I see her figuring it out. Yeah. I see her navigating the best routes to achieve the end goal, mm-hmm. right? For the better of everything. So it's just, but it's very challenging. You know, and yeah. she's been in it for a while too. It's an uphill battle, buddy. It is. That's what, and, and, you know, like you kind of made the comment earlier, I've got a lot about like good luck with all this. Cause it is, it, it's an old industry and it's a huge industry. Like we're talking trillions of dollars, not just billions. Yeah. So it's not like things are going to change overnight, but I think, it just popped in my head. I had a light bulb, so I'll kind of spin off of this. For thread. sure. But another main problem is trust in, in the industry. Bless you. <laughs> you okay? Uh, I think there's a huge lack of trust. Getting back to what we were saying, how people have been burned, and they're almost expecting people to let them down, and you know they, they're very protective of their whatever, information or feelings, whatever you want to say. So there's a huge lack of uh, huge lack of trust. Like you take estimating, for example. I tell people this, even who have been in operations and it boggles their mind. Everybody should sit in on a job closing just to witness the chaos and like what's going on with phones ringing off the hook, emails coming in. Five minutes before close, some people wait until giving you the final numbers. And it's like absolutely bonkers. Like, I don't know if you... You've I've never experienced no, it. No, oh, I buddy. Ima- I can imagine oh, man. And then you And then you... And, I think estimators take a lot of flack because, and I, and I used to do it as a PM. It's like, you know, if a job didn't do well, well, it was the estimate. Not, not always, not always, but you know what? I kind of, I'm embellishing a little bit, but, uh, it's too easy. Anybody does any construction. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I think estimating is probably one of the most difficult jobs because 
the job I've been on now, I've been there for two and a half years. So I got to know the drawings. I poured over them. I memorized them. And I walked the site and I can see it and it all comes together. The estimating team might have had two weeks, maybe a month, two months if it's a big pursuit, to conceptually build the job and be competitive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they don't just have to be accurate. They got to be competitive to get the they job. They got to make money. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's enough about us to me. <laughs> I don't know how we ended up talking about that, but no, it's just uh, this has been actually a very interesting conversation. I want to share a little bit of Green Book talk here. Uh, we've been doing a lot of fines lately. Uh, constructors on a project are required to create rules to ensure that everyone on a project stays safe. That's just pretty basic. A constructor failing to establish and implement written measures and procedures can be fined. How much? Take a guess. In for a correct, incorrectly implementing. Uh, failing to establish and implement written measures and procedures. If they don't do that, they can be fined how much? Wow. Uh, is it for specific things or just in general? Just in $100, general. $100,000. It's five fifty. Five hundred fifty thousand. No, $550. Oh, that's it? That's it. Just your signs. Uh, you basically, here's, the, here's the, uh, the, the measures that you need to uh, abide by. A constructor failing to make written measures and procedures available to every employee on the project can be fined how much? $1,000. $550. You got to love the, the green book. An employer failing to provide a copy of said written measures and procedures to a worker can be fined how much? 550. 550. <laughs> I caught on. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of smart. It's the magic 550. Angelo, we're mm. getting close to wrapping it up. Mm -hmm. What else do you want to mention about the human side? I love the idea of um, the human side of construction. Mm -hmm. I think we've forgotten it as much as we've always talked about, oh, our, our job is going to be taken away by a robot one day. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it will be. Not every tradesperson's. No, no. Oh. I think technology is a big part and you're going to see a lot more of that, but it's not going to it's not going to eliminate the fact that at the end of the day, it's going to take you person, know, people human. sitting down at a table yeah. solving problems. Yeah. Artificial intelligence, honestly, it scares the shit out of me, but I don't think it's ever going to replace two people sitting at a table solving a problem. No. And, uh, um, Unless the robot creates the problem, then it'll take two humans to solve that problem. Then we got to take down the robot. <laughs> you got to find the power source, just unplug it. If it's solar, it's a whole different thing. But it'll all be battery operated, yeah, exactly. and it'll probably have a DeWalt battery on the back. Or I don't know, man. Like it's it's starting to feel a lot like Terminator. <laughs> it's gonna get to that point. I don't want to get weird. I don't think <laughs> I don't think the people who are gonna make them will spend that much time polishing those robots mm. to look like Terminator. But it could possibly be that. Yeah, route. I don't know. I don't uh, know. <laughs> But yeah, no, sorry. Uh, so what, what else is on the human side of construction? It's, uh, I think, honestly, it's a big part of the solution to the, the problems we face in construction today. It's going to help solve the labor shortage if you get people to connect and communicate better, like we are talking. It will. You know, transferring all the knowledge and uh, experience people have, clearing those communication roadblocks. Yep. From a diversity standpoint, if, you, if we start acknowledging differences and treating everybody equally it's not that simple like the answer to diversity is not hiring more women or hiring more people from the BIPOC pop because you're just going to set them up for failure yeah you almost and it sounds kind of grand but you have to change the way the system operates to support those people to make but we got to find a way to do it to make it more welcoming for all because it's you know a white male dominated industry and we're limiting ourselves to that demographic when there's a shortage so Let's do all do our best to treat everybody as humans and create it more welcoming for all. And uh, 
think that was it. That's the two main things. Oh, no, I agree with you. Totally. Do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we've got a lot of immigrants coming into the country that yeah. want to get into the workforce. Yeah. So might as well have open arms and bring them into the mm-hmm. workforce, right? Mm-hmm. And then connect with them. Mm-hmm. Say good morning every morning. Yeah. But it's a, it's a two-way street, though, because a lot of people might think, oh, this is really warm and fuzzy and just love everybody and accept people. The people have to be willing to put the work in. And that's another challenge we're facing. Like you said, people who are kind of one foot in, one foot out, and they don't want to fully commit and work hard. Yep. But honestly, for people you know, in my age or similar, it creates huge opportunities. There's going to be big challenges, but for the people who want to work hard, put the time in and solve these problems, like it's going to do wonders for, for, for sure. Yeah. Well, everybody check it out. Human side of construction on Instagram, reach out to him at Angelo at AGS group.ca. Uh, and then it's suntrees.ca as well. Right. That's right. Yeah. And one more thing too. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So I have written a book. It's dropping early 2023. What's it called? Construction leadership. Nice. And, and it's got a subtitle, but I'm still finalizing it. No, yeah. it'll be out probably January. Okay. Uh, on Amazon, but it'll be on my website and socials. Nice. So you should have told me that. I would have lead, led with that. Sorry, buddy. To, no, yeah. I would have told everybody about Next it. Next time. We'll throw it in the show notes, man. That's yeah. actually good. How long did it take you? Um, 10 days. 10 days? Yeah. So it was a pretty intensive 16 process. years of experience and then 10 days That's of, it, buddy. Of, of writing. I should have said 10 months. But <laughs> no, no. It's the 16 years I'm looking at. Yeah. It would have taken 16 years if you didn't have... That's it. That's That's exactly it. So you ready for the 12 questions? Let's do it. What is your favorite construction word? Oh man, I had ideas here and I totally forgot. Favorite construction word. Bonus. What is your least favorite construction word? Delay. What turns you on in construction? Coming up with a plan and watching it come together. What turns you off in construction? Mistrust and bad people. What's your favorite curse word? We haven't sworn. I like shit show, gong show. I use it interchangeably. Anything with drapes, eh? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? Uh, I'm a Maserati guy. Don't ask me specific models, but Maserati. There's a Ferrari engine in there. Uh, What's your least favorite vehicle in the world? This was a tough one. uh, Probably the current one I have. (laughs) We've got some issues with it. (laughs) No. Uh, If I had to pick one, I'd say Fiat. I just don't like the designs. The new Fiat's you meant. Yeah, I'm just not. I like the tinny old ones. Yeah. Yeah, but you got to be in Europe to drive those. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's just maybe that's it. The streets of a Toronto, it's just, it's weird. Seems odd, yeah. It's weird as well. Yeah. Uh, what construction sound or noise do you love? Welding. I love everything about welding, man. The sights, the sound, the, vr, you know, with the MIG welding and the, the smell. I don't know. It's, it it call me weird. It's, it's kind of cool. No, yeah. it's very cool. What construction sound or noise do you hate? There were a couple that came to mind. Hammer drilling, because I've been on sites where you're trying to have a conversation and some guy's drilling shots in and it scares the shit out of you. Uh, What profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? I don't know if you could tell this from the intro, but musician. Musician. Love music, buddy. I play acoustic guitar. Nice. Not just in my basement. Campfires. Did you press anything? Recorded anything at all? You know what? It's kind of funny. I... uh, Back with, I don't want to talk about COVID, but I had COVID when it was early on and it was a strict like 10 day quarantine. So I was separate from my family in a different room and I had my guitar in there and I, I started, me and my brother, because he plays, uh, uh, well, he was just doing some editing at the time. Yeah. So I, he sent me a track, just coincidentally a song he made. So I overlaid 
because uh, you can use GarageBand on your iPhone. And layer it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we, we wrote probably three, four tracks. So watch for the album. Might be dropping 2024. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. What profession would you not like to do? Customer service. Everybody in construction is. In I know. That's kind of, it's ironic. I know. That's it's why. very ironic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly I, gates? I thought this is a fantastic question, by the way. <laughs> it's great to close on. So I think I would want him to say, it's good to see you here. I've heard lots about you and you almost didn't make it. Nice. Angelo, absolute pleasure, man. I'm so glad that you reached out to me and we had this interesting conversation, man. I think that more and more people will take a moment mm -hmm. on the job site and just understand that there is a human connection, man, in construction. It just takes a second, buddy. That's all it does. And like, not to belabor this, but if you look to the people who doubt this whole movement and this idea how it might feel too warm and fuzzy and you know we've got a job to do just shut up and do it yeah. look at the history of human civilization everything was built on communities you know it takes a child to raise a or it takes a village to raise a child it takes a team to build a building you can't do it in isolation so so true just be nice to people so true where's uh what's the name of the book again construction leadership okay how to ensure a successful profitable and sustainable career nice and check them out on instagram did you set up an instagram page for it yet or not not the book no not the book so human side of construction on instagram and suntries.ca and angelo at, at agsgroup.ca you got it thanks man thank you angelina we're out of here thank you